Blog Talk Radio. The past few years, the night before WrestleMania has been reserved for the future, as NXT's current crop of talent have taken to the stage to outdance the granddaddy of them all. In a way, a delicious appetizer to wet your palate before the hefty main course. That all changes this year, when New Japan Pro Wrestling and Ring of Honor announced they'd be joining up to run Madison Square Garden earlier in 2018, a venue that no wrestling promotion outside of WWE has run in over 50 years, and they're running it the night before WrestleMania. Fair to say, that was a, a tad of a holy shit moment. So uh, not only did that happen on that one of a note, uh, it, it turned into the quickest sellout in the history of Madison Square Garden wrestling events, or one of the quickest. I'm overselling it a bit there. <laughs> uh, selling out in under 15 minutes, with a Wrestling Observer reporting 75% of said sold tickets were from local buyers, which is pretty effing big, because that shows that the show was not just profiting from the fly-in audience for WrestleMania, it was local fans. The guys, uh, fans from New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, they will be filling up a large portion of the people who have snapped up ticket, those tickets in that record time. So, in the face of running against an event with such high demand, WWE have moved NXT TakeOver to Friday. So now we have what looks like this incredible new weekend for WrestleMania. Friday, NXT TakeOver. Saturday, New Japan Pro Wrestling and Ring of Honor present G1 Supercard live from Madison Square Garden on the same night as the Hall of Fame. Then Sunday, WrestleMania. So, sorry, Hall of Fame. We've got an incredible week of wrestling and you're kind of the one to drop on this horrible week for the sleeping patterns of us Europeans. So anyway, for tonight, I'm going to be going over that G1 Supercard show, what got us to this time we are in now, and why we've got this show in the first place. The matches on it, how you can watch it, just everything you need to know. This is going to be an all-you-need-to-know ultimate guide to the show to get you ready for next Saturday. So sit down, get ready. The column on this was 4,000 words. <laughs> I'll try and make sure the show is not that long. All right. Let's do the title card. Let's a sip of tea and get ready for the show. Welcome, my name is Matt Mayer, a.k.a. Implications, columnist of the Imps Adventure series on LawsOfPain.net and your Perfect 10 Wrestling host right here on Laws of Pain Radio. Uh, please do check out the other Laws of Pain Radio shows. Uh, Friday we've got the right side of the pond with Mav, Plan and Mazza. Uh, Saturdays is all about All Elite, for the men who brought you the WCW Legacy series, Miss Fan and Chain Mystic, also doing a MLW Legacy series within that show. Well, to build up to the Elite shows today. Uh, Sundays, the Doc has returned and he is on every single Sunday with a bite-sized format of the Incredible Doc Says uh, running series. Uh, Monday nights is Kingdom of Honor with Jan Man and his friend Jeff talking Ring of Honor and New Japan. You'll hear more about this show on that show. Uh, Tuesdays is Global Revolution. Uh, and live after SmackDown is One Nation Radio with Rich Latter and James Boyd. Wednesdays is Planned Sports Entertainment is Dead. And next Thursday, you're back with me. Actually, you know what? Yeah, why not? 
let's do a worst case scenario for WrestleMania next week. <laughs> I've just randomly decided right now. <laughs> I was looking at the thing ahead of me. It's like, you know what? This is going to be a bit more of a, I guess, traditional show. Not for me, but for, as in, a show with notes. <laughs> but next week, let's just go full stupid and WrestleMania week. Yes, worst case scenario were, but the show is bad as possible. So I'll do that next week. Actually, it's the last minute, but I'll see if we can hit someone up to join me as well. How <laughs> that goes. Anyway, this week's show, as you if you, as you heard in the intro, is all you need to know about New Japan Pro Wrestling and Ring of Honor's show that will be live from Madison Square Garden next Saturday, April sixth. The G1 Supercard. It's not called the. It's called G1 Super. Don't want to put the fun of it for like an old person. Uh, before I get into my stuff, I will say uh, if you're interested, tomorrow at noon EST, so this will be Friday. This will, by the time this goes out, it will be Friday for me. But yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Tamatanga of the Bullet Club will be doing a Reddit AMA, Ask Me Anything, uh, tomorrow at noon. So if you want to check that out or ask him questions, he'll be answering questions on the Bullet Club uh, block party, on this, on on this show, the G1 Supercard, on the future stuff to do with New Japan. I think there's a show in Dallas coming up that you can ask him about as well. So he's going to be on Reddit doing an AMA, so you want to check that out. I've not been said to not, <laughs> that wasn't part of the plugging <laughs> that I've been ordered to do but no that was me like you might find that interesting if you're interested but it's noon on a Friday I'm not available <laughs> so anyway anyway so as you could guess from the intro calling this show momentous is putting it lightly this is the first show to air to air try this again it was the first wrestling show that's non-WWE in over 50 years to sell out, which is to sell out Madison Square Garden specifically. Well, just to run Madison Square Garden specifically. I'm going, I'm all over the place. <laughs> I've gone in my head. I'm excited for my future notes. I've completely forgotten how to do this intro. But yes, it is momentous. The first wrestling show that's non-WWE to run and sell out Madison Square Garden in over 50 years, which is like, uh, it's the change of the time. <laughs> this is a massive one. It's, all, it's kind of playing off of all in. And it's come to this. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you the really important stuff, like how on earth you can watch the bleeding thing. But I'm going to go through how this has come to be, slash like the build to the show itself, the ups and the downs. Uh, and then I'm going to go through the card itself. I'm not going to go in super detail about the card. If you want to see well, my opinions or a little bit of stuff on every single individual match in a little bit more detail... Read my column. As I said, it was 4,000 words. And in that as well, it was exactly what I did. Going, going into each match and writing about four, four or five paragraphs minimum. I don't know if I did anyone that short. <laughs> but yes, I went through every single match and talked about them in detail. So you want to go check out my column. It's still at the top of the columns page on lawsofpain.net. You want to see my in-depth thing. But this is more the, around the show, the build to the show, and then I'll get to the card later. But first, the important information... How are you going to watch the bleeding thing? So first off, it starts at 3.30 Pacific, uh, 6.30 Eastern, or 11.30 GMT for us European folk. Uh, that's the pre-show. The main card starts at one hour later, so 7.30 EST, 4.30 PST, and half past midnight for us European folk playing for GMT. Uh, in terms of where you can get it, it for Americans, they've got like the biggest <laughs> options. So, first of all, it will be on Fight TV, just like All In and all those others beforehand. That will be $39.99. Transfer that to your location as you will. Uh, it will also be streaming live on New Japan World, which costs 999 yen a month. They charge on the beginning of the month. So, 
if you're going to do that, I recommend doing it like on the first or second of April. I think the charging day might be the second, so maybe it's worth doing it on then. But anyway, it's about eight dollars or seven quid or something. <laughs> In my mind, it's totally worth it. Uh, but yeah, that for me, that's my that's the option I would give. Unless you live in the United States, where it depends on if you want to watch a show live or not. So if you're desperate at watching it live, I, I would highly recommend New Japan World. However, if you're not too fussed and you're busy anyway because it's WrestleMania weekend, uh, the show will be airing for free on AXS TV in two parts. Yeah, I've not got the dates, but that's exactly what happening. There have been articles put out on the various dirt sheets and the wrestling news sites about this. So if you do want to check out a certain time because that's the option you want to do, uh, I recommend just Googling it. It is there. And that's how you're going to be able to watch. Again, for the European folk or people outside of America, it will be your streaming on New Japan World, and Fight TV is an online thing, so that's perfectly fine. So choose what you will. Streaming service for, like, £7, or pay-per-view order for, like, $30-something. <laughs> the price difference is huge, but then, it, again, it depends on what you want to do. If you don't want to be a part of the streaming service, then I understand not everybody wants to. Anyway, let's go on to the actual build. So, I'm going to rewind a little bit because I'm not sure how many people listening to this will really know everything. Because maybe they've heard about the show and go, oh, that's a little bit interesting, but not at that volume. Sorry for peeking. I'm <laughs> breaking your ears. So, first of all, New Japan Pro Wrestling's expansion. I'm not going to go all the way back because that would be a bit ludicrous and a little bit pointless. However, New Japan Pro Wrestling, I've been expanding into the West, or at least pushing harder to expand into the West these last few years. Uh, this has started before they brought on the Dutch guy to kind of really vamp it. Vamp it? <laughs> That's an odd choice of words. Ramp it. Ramp it up. Ramp it up. <laughs> I've entered that thing of repeating myself and sounding like an idiot. But anyway, so this is when the elite really took took force and really, really grew. And they realised what they had on their hands and then they started pushing into the Western market. This did not happen under AJ Styles. This really started to kick off under Kenny Omega. And they started running shows in America, starting off uh, with like 2,500 venues, maybe, of bulking it up to the Walter Pyramid, which I think is more than double that, then going right up to the Cow Palace, which I think was 10,000 or so, kind of testing the water, seeing how much they can grow over time, more expanding more and more into the West. And it's been going really, really successful. They haven't been, like, because they were a bit tentative. You know, a lot of American fans were saying that New Japan being a bit too tentative, like not jumping to running bigger buildings. But perhaps we saw it with the Cow Palace. They, as far as I know, they did not sell out the Cow Palace. There is the other caveat, though, that the Cow Palace was in the same market they'd been running for the Walter Pyramid and the same market for whatever it was before, if I'm right. So that market had been run pretty dry and no one else was really getting it. Okay, again, I guess it's not the same WrestleMania season or New York or whatever, but this, the speed of this show kind of shows that the demand was there, so that that market was the only market they were going to. So it ran a bit dry. They didn't quite reach that 10,000. And the Walter Pyramid show after that didn't sell out either. So it was a bit of a dip, really, in terms of popularity. But again, they were running the same market over and over again. So that kind of makes sense. However, as I said earlier, the massive part about this was the biggest draws in the West were the elite. In Japan, New Japan and Wrestling are selling out all over. Like, you see, if you've been on Twitter recently... You've seen people going about, oh, New Japan's dying after the, after the elite have gone, I'm not interested or whatever. That does not, that's not a thing in Japan. <laughs> so 
the fact that so I I count myself lucky that I started watching New Japan about two or three months before Kenny Omega debuted. I count myself lucky in that because that means I was able to get invested in all of the characters before this man was even in the company, which is quite important for me. <laughs> like the Bullet Club were a really great way to get invested into it as well because I well really the reason I started checking them out was because of AJ Styles going over there and I'd heard some great things. Heard he became champion in record time. I was like, oh, this is interesting. However. Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, Hangman Page, a lot of the, the the elite guys were like the biggest reason a lot of people were watching New Japan from American fans especially. After those guys left, well, they didn't have their reason to continue watching New Japan. They still had like, the likes of Okada and Naito and I guess Ibushi that I've got as well. However, yeah, that interest from the Western fans that their guys that they had been built up to support kind of gone and the most important part is Kenny Omega like a lot of the weight was put on his popularity he was the one really pushing it forward he was the one saying we need to do bigger stadiums bigger stadiums really pushing it and in that is when how old Meji on May May I Jai or something it's not May I Jai anyway he if I make myself laugh because I'm an idiot anyway the Dutch guy that they've got (laughs) running uh, like the new chairman he was there to kind of he's uh, a Dutch Japanese businessman who's worked in Japan a lot so he knows about Japanese business and he's also got the European knowledge of business as well so that's that helped to push into the Western market he knows his stuff apparently <laughs> but yeah that a lot of it hinged on Kenny Omega and I guess the elite's popularity as soon as they left their linchpin for the Western expansion was gone and and in terms of like storylines and things that's been given to Jay White of course, the big caveat with that is that Jay White is from New Zealand. So he may be white, but he's not American. The Americans have not latched onto him at all. So again, Jay White, even though he may be white, he is still like a local person because New Zealand, that, that the Oceania kind of Asia crossing, crossing <laughs> area, <laughs> I mean, that kind of area of the world. So in a way, he's more of a local talent. In a way, it's become a young lion. But still, it's that. It's that thing of the American audience don't have their person to gravitate to. And they've got the US Championship and they've got Juice Robinson and a few others being built up, but they're not at that level. You don't, you don't know if they're going to get to that level, but really the important part is there is no one at that level yet. So a lot of the, And of course, the bigger thing is the elite guys have started AEW. <laughs> Which is... Uh, but anyway, so during this time... I'll get to that in a second. So during this time, the elite are on top and they're really, really pushing forward. Kenny Omega is main eventing all of these shows, which is an important part. Like in in Japan, you'll get like Naito or Tanahashi or Okada, but when they go to the West, they're having Westerners main event. So you got Cody versus Omega, that was the Cow Palace main event. You got the Golden Lovers versus the Young Bucks, that was the, one of the Walter Pyramid events, and the Golden Lovers main event of the other one as well. Uh, Kenny Omega winning the United becoming the first ever IWGP US Heavyweight Champion. That happened in America as well. So it's that little bit of a culture change. So this Madison Square Garden show, in a way, is the first time where they're going, well, we don't have these guys anymore, but we're not going to come up with Western talent to main event. We're just going to main event with what we've got, which is a, what a lot of fans are saying to do in the first place. But anyway, when the elite were on top, business in New Japan was great, and they were getting into the market. The interest was huge. The hype was huge. Of course, these main events were really good matches as well, which really didn't hurt. Personally, the Golden Lovers versus the Young Bucks was one of the best tag team matches I've ever seen. In terms of in terms of what I like, that match ticked box after box after box. <laughs> so it's like a personal favourite match. But it wasn't just New Japan who benefited from this. 
because the company that they've been working with in America, Ring of Honor. So this is where I'm starting to get towards this show. <laughs> and in that year, so I guess 2017-18, those two years were the best business Ring of Honor have ever done in the company's history. They broke their attendance records, they broke their gate records, merch records. They were having an incredible year. Ring of Honor was doing really, really well. And of course, like during their relationship with New Japan, throughout this decade, Ring of Honor's production has skyrocketed. <laughs> like, if you watch some of the earliest, it's like when um, Kevin Owens in his later years and Jay Lethal's kind of coming in to take over, that kind of crossover, that's when it's starting to get into TV stuff. And it's uh, the quality's going up, but it's suddenly when they join with New Japan and kind of get out of that money or that help or whatever it is, suddenly the, suddenly the production's just shot right up. But yes, Ring of Honor have done great business, kind of building their company around the elite guys, which at the time was doing great business, but it was brought up at the time that that could have been a bit of an issue. Turns out it was a bit of an issue, <laughs> but at this moment we're in, it's fantastic business for Ring of Honor. This brings us to the next thing. September something. <laughs> no, it's inaccurate for my in, in huge detail uh, podcast. All in in September of 2018. So building off of uh, Walter Pyramid, built, built which when they went to Cow Palace, which went to how big can we do? All in was nothing to do with New Japan. They got New Japan talent because the idea for the show in a way was like the biggest independent show that there ever has been. Therefore, it was all of so many uh, companies getting involved in this. He had Impact, he had, I was going to say AAA, but whatever pentagon counter at that point and what does they impact <laughs> well, yeah impact being of honor new japan you know, all of these companies coming together to put on this huge independent show like an independent show for all independent shows like the wrestlemania of independence in a way it, it, it feels like that i don't know if that was was the idea but it's kind of like that could be what it turns into but anyway that show sold out incredibly quickly. I, I can't remember the numbers, but I remember it being insane how fast it sold out. It could have been in under an hour. It could have been 30 minutes. That could have been the 30-minute one. I'm a little bit lost on that one. But still, sold out incredibly quickly, and the hype for it was incredible. The show is just such a feel-good show. It's one of those where what it was and the show being successful in that way was a lot more important than the quality of the matches. It didn't hurt that the matches themselves were fun to watch as well. But anyway, All In was a huge success. And, of course, half a year down the line, that leads to something else. So in this period, after September, if I'm right, it was like kind of the October, November, kind of that kind of time, it suddenly announced that New Japan Pro Wrestling and Ring of Honor will be joining up together to run Madison Square Garden. And the hype is incredible. <laughs> it's just like, holy shit, this is insane. And WWE kind of laxed, yeah, they'd laxed on using the Madison Square Garden and like they, they're like, kind of like, well, we want to run an event, but WWE are either going to the Barclays Center or, or going elsewhere. They're not really going to Madison Square Garden. So I think, I think they have a rang up WWE or whatever, and they pretty much said, we're going to be running New Japan Wrestling and Ring of Honor. That's kind of set. <laughs> they're going to be doing it. There was a rumor going around that uh, WWE had tried to stop the show from happening, but it that, no, never came about. So MSG has announced the tickets go on sale. How does it do? As I said earlier, it sells out in around 15 minutes, <laughs> which is incredible. And with not many of those tickets going to like the, the uh, like StubHub or whatever, like the second-hand ticket sellers who pump up the prices, which, uh, sorry, Americans, but in this country, there's uh, 
a big argument to make that illegal <laughs> after what's happened in the music industry. That's one, the music industry are making huge impacts <laughs> on European law. <laughs> it's both a good and bad thing, but the good thing is this kind of huge pumping up of prices in at least at least in the UK could be coming illegal soon. So sorry, America, but yeah, you're you're too capitalist. <laughs> so I'm not going to go into that. That's a huge well to jump into. <laughs> sorry, America, you're going to fall down that well even further until it gets better. But anyway, the show sold out in record time. Again, my point was not many of those tickets went to the likes of Stuff Hub. And also, as I said, a huge percentage were local fans, which that's, that's huge because, again, that means it's not the WrestleMania coming in crowd that have sold it out. That means it's also not the same passionate crowd who travelled all the way down to the Cow Palace or whatever. This is local fans that have sold out a lot of tickets who did not go down south <laughs> to the Cow Palace or whatever. So that's, that's it's huge news in a way. Then even bigger news. The elite leave New Japan Pro Wrestling. So there's, it builds up to Wrestle Kingdom, and it, Wrestle Kingdom feels like a goodbye for a lot of the uh, elite guys or the, like the, that side of the Bullet Club. You've done an angle at the Cow Palace where the Tongans turned on them, so Bullet Club kind of split in that way. And when Jay White joined the Bullet Club, he had a lot more of a stronger version. Uh, you had Kenny Omega saying in an interview, oh, no, that's uh, when he was talking about what the Bullet Club is going to happen. Oh, he's still in a bit of a feud. And he, just, he just went, oh, no, no, that's Jay White's thing now which is pretty big. <laughs> so the Elite became their own thing. The Bullet Club were their other things. They kind of split off. A few guys like Yujiro Takahashi and Chase Owens kind of dancing between the two for a bit before going with Bullet Club because they're staying with New Japan. And the Elite guys kind of in a bit of a weird thing after Wrestle Kingdom. Kenny Omega main evented Wrestle Kingdom and then he dropped the title to Tanahashi in a bit of a... People saw it a bit of a surprise, but what's happened recently, it makes sense. There were talks at the time of what's going to happen with guy with these guys, AEW is announced. So that takes so much hype. So suddenly, New Japan Pro Wrestling have gone from these could be the big alternative to WWE to if they're going to have to fight <laughs> to be one of the alternatives. Which, as a wrestling fan, that is fantastic to have more than one alternative fighting it out for the position to be the best alternative. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that, that's the dream scenario as a fan. Multiple promotions putting each other to be better and better. It's like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> it's, been, it's been said that wrestling outside of WWE has been white hot for pretty much the from this entire half of the decade that it's got bigger and bigger and bigger, which is fantastic to see. But anyway, Kenny Omega leaves eventually. Uh, AEW was officially announced did the whole pyro thing which was insane but yeah the the addition of tony khan has made like a, like another huge thing you hear about all of this on all about all elite the point being a lot of momentum started going to the aew and the fans who watched new japan for the elite were, were going to watch aew they don't care about new japan they do there are those fans like it doesn't matter what they do for them the elite were the reason they were watching and as soon as they've gone they're going to watch aew they're not going to watch new japan that sucks for me, for me, again, I said I am somebody who has been watching the product before they were really a, before they were a thing. So I'm perfectly fine with continuing to watch. I got I got invested in Shinsuke Nakamura, Tanahashi, and Okada, and then then subsequently like the likes of Naito, and then the Body Club guys kind of got big as well. But yeah, they, they weren't an issue for me. I'm going to keep watching because I was watching beforehand. Then the other thing 
is what to do with all of these people who have been the core of your building to the West. They've left, what do you do? So New Japan and Ring of Honor kind of both hit a, not a reset, but they had to redistribute where people were and find a replacement to be in this area. So the rumour was uh, the storylines that were written for Kenny Omega were then transferred and altered to fit Jay White. Not just transferred. (laughs) If I said that about WWE, I probably would just say transferred and he'd be able to tell that things weren't quite right. But this is New Japan. They were altered it for the character and what his arc was anyway, kind of merged them together into something. Gado's good like that. (laughs) He probably spends hours putting these things together just for me to make it sound simple in that sentence. (laughs) But anyway... Jay White got Kenny Omega's kind of push and storylines. He becomes the IWGP champion in a shock defeating Tanahashi. So he's now the biggest heel champion in the company. This young, former young lion, this really young, he's in his like mid-twenties. I think he's maybe a year or so older than me. So uh, he's young. He's, he's young for a champion. <laughs> Which is, because New Japan don't give anybody their championships. Especially in this Gado era. They... If they, they only really do that, the earliest one I can think of is Okada, and that was like a huge multi-year thing. He became champion, but it was a multi-year arc for him becoming like a true champion. He didn't hold the, onto the title for that long for his earlier reigns, and then of course he had the epic reign later. But yeah, Jay White will be champion. There's a high chance when we reach Madison Square Garden after the show he won't be, but still he's the biggest heel wrestler in the promotion at the moment. So they did a bit of a changing of kind of hierarchy in a way, kind of push someone a bit quicker. Also, they announced that Kota Ibushi had been signed to a contract. So that's another thing. Kota Ibushi, during his time in New Japan, was kind of like a freelancer the entire time. He never signed with them, never signed a contract. That's why he was able to go over to WWE. He was able to come over here to England and shoot fireworks on himself and do a backflip off a car whilst doing that because <laughs> he's mental. <laughs> oh. I love, I love Kota Ibushi's mental side. <laughs> it's kind of a thing to see. However, he's now signed a contract, which is huge, and then he announced he'd be in the New Japan Cup, which so he immediately became everybody's favourite to win the thing. He didn't, but they get, gave, gave intrigue to the tournament. So they had their New Japan Cup coming up, and it, it felt like things might settle down at the New Japan Cup, but it's one of those things where you're hoping it does, not it definitely will. Because Jay White, again, felt a bit like a sudden thing had happened, and the places, the, kind of the uh, the puzzle pieces were still falling together. And like Bellison Square Garden just around the corner. Yeah. However, Ring of Honor will be hit by this harder. So, of course, they built their entire kind of main event around the elite. Or at least pushing their biggest shows, they were all around the elite. Those guys leave, they've lost their biggest draws. Like, not just one, but they lose Hangman Page, they lose the Young Bucks, they use SCU, who have gone as well. You've lost the Kenny Omega, Cody. <laughs> like a lot of talent that they were pushing multiple matches throughout the card is, they've all gone. Did form AEW, obviously. Swing of Honor went on a signing spree. Suddenly, you see two new factions uh, bursting up. Bursting up? <laughs> Weird, so was amazing. You saw Lifeblood, which was Juice Robinson teaming up. So Juice Robinson made his Ring of Honor kind of debut with David Finlay, with Mark Haskins with a few others that I did write down, but I can't remember. Oh, Tennille Dashwood, the former Emma from uh, WWE. And then there was Villain Enterprises, which had PCO, who was one of the Quebecers, I think. <laughs> I can't remember. I think it was one of the Quebecers. Ah, 
Yeah, so PTO is, became like the hottest thing on the indie scene, which is insane to think about. Uh, he and Brody King joined Marty Skrull to fill, form, I can't find the word, to form Villain Enterprises, which is interesting because that was all, with the build of that came Marty Skrull's push. Because at the time, Jay Lethal has been champion since June, and they've been building to something with Jay Lethal, who knows? It kind of felt like, when WWE went to Brock Lesnar as the safety of the, the Reigns uh, kind of uh, cancer stuff, with uh, Ring of Honor, they went into safety mode a bit with Jay Lethal. When there seemed to be, there could be an issue with the Elite, they went to Jay Lethal. So his Reigns been a bit, n- not that much, <laughs> in a way. So, Ring of Honor went on their signing spree, they've beat up the card, they've chased it a lot. It feels like a very different company, but both New Japan, but, well, I guess this time last month, or at least uh, like early February, both New Japan and Ring of Honor felt like companies who were trying to find their feet again, just find themselves. For New Japan, they did that over the New Japan Cup. It knocked it out of the park. That's what I was saying earlier. It was, you feel like it sh- they should find their feet in that tournament, but you're not sure. They did. They found their feet, and it set up multiple matches for Madison Square Garden in the process. It was a massive success. However, Ring of Honor's 14th anniversary not phased as much. It did build to Madison Square Garden, but it still feels a little bit odd. Like the promotion is still trying to find their feet. They're not quite sure what direction they're going to be going in or they're multiple steps away from properly achieving it. Or they're just one step away. Unfortunately, they're having to do that on the big show. So for New Japan, uh, this show, they found their feet. This show kind of feels like a celebration for them for making it. The elite guys aren't there, but the Japanese talent get to celebrate. However, on the flip side of that is Ring of Honor, who feel like they're using this show to then launch off into that next era. So they're feeling a bit what, like um, New Japan had the New Japan Cup. In a way, Ring of Honor had their anniversary show, but it just didn't quite work. It felt like a weird setup slash a weird, we're still planning our feet, championships change, and it feels a little bit off. But yeah, New Japan nailed it with New Japan Cup. They found their feet. I feel like Madison Square Garden could be that for Ring of Honor. The show where they find their feet, they give the titles to the right people to take it into the next era, and they launch off with that. Of course, that means that on the Ring of Honor side, that this show is not a celebration of what got them to the dance. It's more using it to catapult themselves into the next era. We'll see if it works. But uh, like in my mind, it's like, what were they really going to do otherwise? So it's a bit sick. But in this meantime, AEW has also been picking up a lot of steam and hype. Uh, they sold out the MGM Grand in Las Vegas for double or nothing next month. Sold that out in record time as well. Apparently, like 40,000 people on the waiting list on top of that. But the potential cost of their success has probably maybe been the momentum for New Japan Pro Wrestling's expansion. But as I said earlier, the race for WWE alternative is well underway, which makes things really exciting for a wrestling fan. I, I, for one, really cannot wait for this next stage. <laughs> it's like, after New Japan of Madison Square Garden, we've seen success for it. Hopefully it's successful. The card looks great. I'll be going over that after the break. However, on top of that, you've got AEW starting their television show. Hopefully, <laughs> if everything we've heard actually does come to fruition, hopefully they'll be starting some point in the autumn, which will be like a huge bonus for the wrestling fans as well. We don't know what that's going to be. The Fox deal will be kicking in at some point over this year. I'm not sure when that is. It could be the second half as well. So whatever it is, there's going to be very interesting changes for the wrestling world this year. We could be entering a time of like two promotions in WWE and AEW trying to find their feet again, <laughs> which will be a huge bonus to New Japan and Ring of Honor, who are having that moment right now. But either way, 
It's an exciting time to be a fan. It feels like we're on the brink of something exciting. <laughs> I think I said the word exciting way too many times. Oh, this was a column I would edit you. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to take a quick ad break, and then when we return, I will go through the card for New Japan Pro Wrestling and Ring of Honor live in Madison Square Garden present G1 Supercard. <laughs> There's no short way to say it. <laughs> to include all the information necessary. Oh, I have to say it like the start of a WWE pay-per-view where they go through all the brands and things. Anyway, I'll be back in about five seconds or so with the second half of this show going through the cards. Bizarre. See you in a second. Before I go in, I bought a new mouth. The click's really loud, so I hope you enjoyed hearing it. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you for listening to uh, this show and all the other shows on Laws of Pain Radio. It's, I, I don't know why so many of you do, <laughs> but thank you. Thank you. It means a lot to this Englishman who's getting a bit of a dry throat and, and wants to eat a biscuit. <laughs> anyway, the uh, card, as I said, I go through the card. So, as I said earlier, the card looked very, very promising on paper. They announced it, I think, earlier this week or last week. Um, I, oh no, I remembered. I wrote my column on it, and I was thinking about delaying the column when I, and then I thought, oh, I'll wait for the entire card to be announced. And then the card was announced during my sleep. So, oh, I guess I'll write the column then. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> also turned out it took me two days to write the bloody thing because it ended up being like somewhere between four or five thousand words. <laughs> so that's my bad. <laughs> I wanted to go into high detail, and I, I did do that. So anyway, in this weird thing of a show, <laughs> we have got... Uh, so, as I said earlier, the show starts at 6.30 EST, and that is the pre-show. And just like WWE, there is a match on the pre-show. It's not just hype for a little while like you'd see in a other New Japan event where they've got like the title card or they'll play their awesome little video about what, what to do and what not to do in the stadium. So if, if you have New Japan World, I highly recommend turning into one of their shows like early, and you'll see a, like, a video package playing of like Jushin Thunder Liger and Vaisuke Taguchi doing a little video on what to do and what not to do as the crowd, and it's awesome. <laughs> like I've seen it so many times, and I end up just watching it like on with the with the uh, window muted, but watching the video, it's just like oh, those two guys are just great together. <laughs> it's hilarious and it's cute and it's great. Anyway, again, if that was sentence were a column, I would edit you. So. The Honor Rumble is our first little uh, piece to be talking about. So the, at Wrestle Kingdom, New Japan for Wrestling, for the past few years, aside from this one, have ran a mini little Royal Rumble type thing, but there's not really anything on the line, just for a bit of fun over the pre-show. Uh, this, the last time they ran the match, the winner was somebody recovered from cancer, if I'm right. So it's like a huge like hurrah for that guy. So that was kind of cool to see. So it's used something like that. When that guy could be the winner, that kind of tells you the message of the match that there's nothing on the line except for kind of pride of winning on such a grand stage. But this one seems a little bit different. So they're calling it the Honor Rumble. Uh, I assumed it's going to be like that Rumble. So the time limit's either like 60 seconds or somewhere over 90, but properly 90 or something. So it's a lot more fast-paced than WWE's version. Again, it's a pre-show thing. It's nothing on the line. It's not meant to be that serious. Normally, there's about 20 or so people. I think, again, what actually really helps with the lax feel about it is that it's not always a fixed number, if I'm right. It's not, like I say it's 20, but it's been some weird numbers where the content is going, is that it? Is there someone else to come? That, that, this is an odd number. That can't be right. <laughs> so it's also quite funny to listen to the commentators. However, they've announced for this that there's going to be 30 people in this. 
So it's more like a Royal Rumble in that way. So it might feel like a fast-paced Royal Rumble, like a more light-hearted version of that, of that show. But the question becomes, who's in the thing? Because it is a stacked card, however, there are a lot of names missing. The biggest of which I'll probably go with is Minoru Suzuki, who, for me, he may not be like the biggest guy in New Japan Pro Wrestling at the moment. However, he's really popular in the West. So he not being on the card is a bit of an eye scratch in a way. Also, uh, Tomohiro Ishii, someone else who is really popular in the West. Like, neither of those guys are on the card. So they are going to be in this match, assumably. <laughs> I don't know if there's going to be any surprises, but it's going to be a mix of the New Japan talent and Ring of Honor talent that are not on the card. So you see Cheeseburger in this thing. You'll see, they won't see Buddy Ray's on the main card. But <laughs> you'll see loads of other talent that are not on the main show. Oh, the, the only person who is definitely announced, though, is Jushin Thunder Liger, who will get a huge pop because he's just a legend. <laughs> and so if you don't know, Jushin Thunder Liger will be retiring on January 1st, oh, sorry, January 4th, <laughs> for Wrestle Kingdom. So when Wrestle Kingdom comes around, that is Jushin Thunder Liger's retirement. He is done. So in a way, this is a goodbye tour, and why not be the only guy announced for the Honor Rumble, uh, go out big at Madison Square Garden, if for that, for me, he could be the winner because of that. I don't know if they'll use this to put somebody over, uh, but he could win as a kind of memorial for him, in a way. But that said, I don't know what's going to happen here because it's just a bit of fun. So literally anybody could win. Toyo Yano could win. Hiroki, could go, uh, Hiroki Goto, what he said, cheeseburger. He could win. <laughs> there are people like the other two members of the kingdom, whatever they're called. They could win. <laughs> so it's, it's, and you don't know what surprises are going to be either. Because, of course, there's a few people who's left uh, WWE. Like, are we going to get a Ty Dillinger? Is he going? We don't know where he's going to be going. Are we going to get a surprise like that? Like, I, I said Ty Dillinger because it could also be TJP, but <laughs> he could be on the Ring of Honor side. Like, he, he has wrestled, for the, he's wrestled all over, to be fair. But it is, it could, he could get a surprise. I don't know who that would be. But all I do know is if Suzuki is in this match, then they've got to play his entire theme to Kaze Ninavea. There's no way Suzuki will be in Madison Square Garden and they don't let the Kaze Nino Air chance play. <laughs> and, uh, so I talked about to uh, Sir Sam about this on Twitter. And he brought up just the point of, well, I would not want to be the person who is there to stop Suzuki's music playing. <laughs> I, I want to live for the rest of the year, please. <laughs> so yes, that's a, that's a very good point. But again... This match isn't really meant to be taken seriously. It's just a bit of fun. Again, anybody could win it because of that. <laughs> it's just really weird. Like with WWE, the match means so much that really only few people could win it. This one means so little that literally anyone could. <laughs> that Colt Cabana could win this thing. Uh, actually, that said, we probably are getting a uh, Toriano and Colt Cabana kind of meeting once again after they had hilarity in the Corken Hall. Right. I think it's good to go on to the main card. So there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 matches. So a nice short card in comparison to what's going to come. Uh, that is 10 matches, but they probably will get time, so this won't be a short show. Uh, New Japan shows normally aren't that short, so it could be like a four-hour type of thing. So, hooray, most European folk <laughs> take over this and then WrestleMania. Oh, yes, we're, we're, we're crazy. I don't know why we do it. But the opening match is equally crazy. The never openweight champion Will Ospreay versus Ring of Honor TV champion Jeff Cobb, and the match is title for title. Yeah. <laughs> so, as I wanted it in the column, wait, this is the opener. Bloody hell. <laughs> this is how you kick off a show. So, uh, Will Ospreay is kind of building his way up 
from junior to heavyweight because they think he has like the potential to be a megastar. Like in a few years, he could be that guy that Western fans are gravitating to. But as I was saying, as I was saying earlier, those people that the fans could gravitate to could be in the company already. They're just not at that stage yet. But like Kenny Omega, if he had come, if this had happened in like 2015, 16, he wasn't at this level. Of course, they had AJ Styles, so it kind of defeats my point. <laughs> but anyway, Will Ospreay could be one of those guys right, right at the top of the card, and he's kind of proving himself at the moment in the heavyweight scene. Uh, he, he wrestled against bigger men in the New Japan Cup and really proved himself uh, fantastic. If you have New Japan World and not really watched New Japan Cup, I highly recommend you watch Will Ospreay versus Lance Archer. That one really surprised me. <laughs> really, really good big man versus athletic man. It was also surprisingly strong. Just putting all these things together. Jeff Cobb, though, the Ring of Honor television champion. Yeah, I think, I think I've think i tried to say this before. Like, he's my indie boy. <laughs> the guy in the indies that I pop for every single time that I see him. So previously it was Ricochet. He's now in WWE, so I've had to pick a new one. And I found him very quickly. <laughs> Jeff Cobb. <laughs> he best, yeah, I watched him in the uh, Super Strong Style 16, which is uh, Progress Wrestling's annual knockout tournament. Uh, Jeff Cobb in the semi-finals, I think. Or unless it was the quarterfinals. Anyway, he faced Matt Riddle. And that match was brilliant. <laughs> it was so damn good. But I became a fan of Jeff Cobb when he was playing Matanza in uh, Lucha Underground. And then I watched him in PWG in the Battle of Los Angeles. And he was just brilliant. <laughs> he was he got to show a lot more of his charisma in that. Because I've seen his wrestling style in Lucha Underground. But he was behind a mask. And he was this just evil big person who obviously can do awesome wrestling things. However, watching him in PWG, he got to see his charisma. And the Hawaiian spirit, in a way, came out a lot more than it ever would in his evil <laughs> Lucha Underground gimmick. But I'm yeah, instant fan of Jeff Cobb, and of course Will Ospreay, I think, really highly as well. This match is could be quite mental. <laughs> as an opener, I'm expecting both guys to really go out at it. Yeah, well, I would just quickly say, before I came on live on here, I was listening to uh, the Dragon's Den podcast, which is uh, Amy Phoenix, at Phoenix NGPW and Jen something. <laughs> Sorry, Jen. <laughs> But the point being, uh, they made, made a really good point on their podcast about how Will Ospreay opened at Wrestle Kingdom and he's also opening this show here. And both matches are of such a high caliber. Like at Wrestle Kingdom, if you don't know, he opened against Kota Ibushi. And when that was announced, people are like, wait, the match where they're going to maybe kill each, kill themselves? <laughs> That's the opener? It turns out Kota Ibushi was the only one to get a concussion. Oh. <laughs> but uh, in this one, yeah. It's that same feeling of this is the opener, like this is that's going to set one hell of a pace, and the added thing of this being title for title, which is very interesting. <laughs> Who kind of gets the win here? <laughs> because keeping in mind that title for title means that they're going to have to show up in both promotions. We've not really seen Jeff Cobb in New Japan, but in like personally, I've been wanting to see him more and more. Like. Like with the whole thing with Elgin, like the Western fans just don't have the support for Elgin. Whilst I think Jeff Cobb could be an amazing person to kind of take that spot. That said, uh, the uh, Elgin's popularity in Japan, as far as I know, has not dwindled. So that, again, when they're playing to the Japanese market, because that is their home market, it's like why would WWE play to England specifically over America? <laughs> like the second market they're trying to get into. Like why would they do that? That's stupid. Like, no, they play to America first. And that's what New Japan will always do. One thing to keep in mind, you are not the main audience. Well, you are. They try to expand the kind of appeal to you, but their core audience is Japan. 
and they've built off Japan, they'll try and live off of that. You know, like if the American expansion fails, they are still the most popular promotion in Japan. They will be fine. They won't challenge WWE, but they will be fine. But anyway, I went a bit off topic there. <laughs> but this is title for title, so both challenge, both wrestlers will have to appear in both promotions, whoever wins. I said both once, and I really confused myself there. But it's the end, everybody. What of me. So, Will Ospreay has wrestled for the Ring of Honor quite a bit, uh, challenging quite high up the card. I think he had a match against Jay Lethal a little while ago, which is really good. Uh, but yeah, so Will Ospreay, for me, would be the bigger candidate because he is getting that push in New Japan. However, Jeff Cobb has had an amazing, I guess, technically, like, first year with Ring of Honor, really getting cementing moment against uh, Hangman Page at the, is it the final battle, the last one in December, I think it was. That was a fantastic match. Highly recommend check that one out, Hangman Page versus Jeff Cobb. But yeah, Jeff Cobb was kind of like an unbeaten machine, which is the perfect way to go. However, after I think it was after Hammond Page, his matches have been a lot more back and forth. So he's not that dominant champion he used to be. He's dominant in the sense of he's always winning and he's looking great in the end, but he's taking a lot more offense. He's looking more beatable than he used to. So this match, in a way, is very similar to what Osprey's been up against. He is going to have to out-wrestle his stature. And Jeff Cobb is still a dominant champion. Will Ospreay is a champion out to prove himself, to prove that to bring up the prestige of the title and show that he does deserve to be in that spot he's in. Jeff Cobb, he already knows that he deserves the spot he is in. He is the dominant champion. Will Ospreay is the one proving himself still, even though like he, even though he's had the higher caliber kind of achievements under the championship reign. It's interesting, this one. I have no idea who's going to win. I'd edge it with Ospreay just because of New Japan's push, but that's just because I follow New Japan more strongly than I do Ring of Honor. So to me, Osprey feels like the bigger prospect than Jeff Cobb does in that way. However, Jeff Cobb is my indie boy. <laughs> I want him to get as high as he can in Ring of Honor. And also Jeff Cobb's been getting plaudits relating his run so far to how Samoa Joe's run went. And uh, apparently, if you watch him wrestle, like, I've personally not noticed it, but uh, I guess the similarities are there if you explain it. But uh, Jeff Cobb's wrestling style does seem to uh, take a lot of influence from Samoa Joe. The bigger difference being Jeff Cobb does also take in his uh, like Olympic. Cause he is, I think he either went to the Olympics or he nearly qualified for, or injury or something. I can't remember. He, he's a former Olympian, but I don't know to what level. Yeah, so he incorporates that into his wrestling style rather than Joe's full-on AM, uh, MMA. So if you put that twist on it, and of course he's Hawaiian, not Samoan. So put those two things <laughs> onto it, it's a different twist in that way. But yeah, for me, Jeff Cobb, the, the height is the world championship. He should be main, main eventing with Marty Skull in the near future, which I'll get to in the end. But it'll take time to get there. And both, and we're not supposed to see him as a future main eventer as well. So which of these future main eventers wins? Because <laughs> again, this is one of those shows, it's one of those matches that's opening the show, but you can see that in a few years, this should be main eventing. Or maybe even sooner than that. It's kind of mental to look at. So <laughs> what will happen? I have no idea. But again, I'll edit for Will Ospreay. Right, second match. So these next two have got a little bit less kind of to go on. So it won't be as long as that one just took. But uh, a special singles match is up for the second match. Uh, Dalton Castle versus Rush. Uh, Rush was one of the signings that Ring of Honor made on their signing spree. Uh, signing him from uh, CMLL in the in the Mexico. Why am I saying the for all my nans? <laughs> he signed him from CMLL in Mexico. Uh, Rush is, if you watch Rush, 
you will see a lot of influence towards the likes of Naito and the CN, because uh, Rush was part of Los Ingol Benavides uh, in CMLL, which is where that, yeah, can't think of the word, where that stable formated, <laughs> formed. Why are my words escaping me? But yeah, so there, that stable formed in CMLL, and it was like Rush and uh, CN. They were in that stable. There was more people in it as well, but yeah, they took Naito under their wing when he was struggling, and that's when he kind of returned to De Hapon, uh, L.I.J., which is Los Ingobernables, which was their stable, and then he, he makes Japan's version of that stable. He makes that, he expands them into Japan. He becomes the leader of that stable in Japan. Yeah, I think that explains it relatively well, but going into more detail. But anyway, Ring of Honor signed Rush, which was seen as quite a big deal. And that's why I'm kind of donning this, the Rush special, or the Rush showcase, where they're going to be showing him off. Uh, Dalton Castle, he is a former champion. He's going to take a quick drink. I'm losing my voice. Oh, issue with being live. I can't <laughs> edit out me drinking. Anyway, so Dalton Castle, what this time last year, was Ring of Honor World Champion. However, his reign was, it wasn't awful, but it wasn't like eye-catching off or um, incredible either. He ended up dropping the title to Jay Lethal in a fatal four-way. And he's been struggling with injury since. So you've seen it like he fought all in. He was on commentary. He didn't wrestle or anything. Uh, he's been getting uh, in now and then, but he's not really been like a full main event guy like he used to be. So he's kind of, I don't know if he's uh, struggling with injury or if he's struggling with momentum or lack of direction as well. Like multiple things coming together. Dalton Castle's kind of just there at the moment. Uh, he's one of those guys who's like been super popular in Ring of Honor, so he could get a rise again. However, like for now, he's kind of lost a bit. So he's, he's that guy who was at the top, but he can be used perfectly to showcase this rising talent that they've put a lot of stock into in Rush. So that's what this match will be for me. Former world champion versus guy they've got high hopes for in Rush. That's really, that's really all there is to say. Uh, yeah, I'm not really expecting that much else. The interesting thing for me is with this being the mixed match with New Japan, I don't know if there'll be any LIJ stuff or if they're kind of trying to separate Rush from that for Ring of Honor to push him in their own way. Because again, this show, having two title for title matches, yes, that first match was not the first, that's got two of them kind of brings the promotions closer together in that way. Because suddenly you've got sets of talent who are going to have to work both promotions. Which, yes, <laughs> that's kind of cool. But that's all I've got to say on that match. Rush is probably going to win. It's going to be the showcase for him. Dalton Castle, former champion. Makes sense. Next up is the Women of Honor Championship. Uh, Mayu Iwatani. <laughs> Look that up. Uh, Mayu Iwatani versus Kelly Klein. And... I don't know that much about Iwatani. I do know she wrestled for stardom. I do know there's been a lot of good words about her. I've heard, I've heard good things, but I've not really seen her. Maybe like one gif on Twitter, which I don't really count as like seeing her wrestle and going, oh, come on, I know what's going on now. <laughs> like, no, I know next to nothing. I know that on her picture for this show, she's wearing blue and white. And she's doing like a rah. Thing. So maybe she's playful or maybe that's not playful and she's being serious. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> All I know is I don't know much about Iwatani. But she is facing Kelly Klein, who I do know a lot more about because of her run in Ring of Honor, one of the kind of like stalwarts for the women of honor, the kind of division they've been building up. Uh, she's been, I find it a bit odd because she was the one they seem to be building too. You know, she's going to become like a dominant champion. They could build around her until it kind of feels like it's time to change off of her and give it to like a rising star. But they didn't do that. 
for some reason Iwatani became champion. I don't understand why. <laughs> so maybe I'll get it once I see her wrestle. And maybe they did it quickly to get a Japanese talent on this show. Uh, again, I don't know if there was like an actual idea to for New Japan to start working a bit more with stardom or if Ring of Honor going to be working more with stardom. Either way, I, I don't know why they changed titles on her. Maybe I'll find out when I watch the show. But Kelly Klein, I can speak of. And from what what little I've saw, seen of Iwatani, I wouldn't be surprised if she's using a really, uh, really enhancing way to make Kelly Klein seem like a beast when she starts kind of launching around the ring, maybe. Or when she starts hitting her big moves, Iwatani will make Kelly Klein look like a beast. And then she gets put over in Madison Square Garden and there's like this huge star to build a division round. But I thought, take out the Madison Square Garden part, I thought they were going to do that with Kelly Klein in the first place, and then they didn't. And I don't know... So it's one of those things where I feel like they're going to do it, but being a jaded WWE fan makes me think, oh, I don't know if they're going <laughs> to... It's, it's the Range Lesnar thing where I've been told this story and they didn't and they didn't go with the end before. <laughs> so maybe they... I don't know. Or, or I'm reading into it something that's not there. Because again, I don't know when uh, Tineo Dashwood is going to be good to be properly competing, but you would think once she's ready to go that she would be one of the top people going for Kelly Klein as well. But again, I'm assuming Kelly Klein will become champion. Because for all I know, this could be a showcase for Iwatani. Because again, I'm saying I don't know much about her. This could be used to make me bloody impressed with her. She keeps the championship, they build around her. Or, I don't know. Because she could be the Casey Kessenzaro to Kelly Klein's Ray Ripley. That smaller wrestler who works so damn well and the chemistry is incredible with that bigger person that both look like superstars whenever they are together. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know anything about the girl. <laughs> I've got nothing to say about Iwatani, really. Uh, but yeah, I would expect Ring of Honor to use this to build around Kelly Klein, but I thought that before, and they didn't, so this could just be an Iwatani thing. Or it could be Klein. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really adding anything else to this. Right, let's move on to the next one. A more kind of out there one where who knows what's going to happen. Uh, Bunny Ray's, aka Bubba Dudley or whatever, his Open Challenge New York Street Fight. So, in my column, I wrote the following. <laughs> I tweeted this out because it made me laugh afterwards. Uh, who will answer the challenge, though? Any chance it'll be Flip Gordon? I mean, there's always a chance that it's not Flip Gordon, but, you know, come on. It's Flip Gordon. Then, like, less than five hours later, after <laughs> I'd written that and it was posted, it was done... Less than five hours later, it was announced that Flip Gordon had re-injured his knee whilst he's like really having him working it, or whilst he was in OTT, I think, working for Ireland. They said he was able to fly back, but he's re-injured his knee. He's going to be out for like a few months again. He's going to need to properly rehab it once more. And yeah, so uh, it's not going to be Flip. <laughs> so that that sentence that I wrote in my column was just like ah, I did all of that with the comedic ellipses and everything, and it's not it's not Flip. We know it's not flipped now. <laughs> so, hooray! The whole thing's become void, but it makes me laugh, so I've left it in. So, after it's not going to be flipped because the bugger's hurt his knee again, who's it going to be? So, uh, I, there's a few th- a few suggestions, anyway, just flying about. Like, you get Minoru Suzuki for the Kaze Nina Ray pop. It might, it might be spoiled if we watch the uh, on a rumble and he either doesn't get Kaze Nina Ray or he's not in the match. So, that could kind of tell us. Or there could be people that leave off the card to turn it into a bit of a, oh, who's it going to be? Ooh. But also, uh, Juice Robinson for me is a shout because there is no IWGP US title match on this card, which feels odd 
for Madison Square Garden is such a big show. So maybe Juice accepts and says, why don't we make this to the title? And the crowd goes, <laughs> whatever noise New Yorkians make. <laughs> I've never been. I've, I've heard uh, friendly people. Anyway, for <laughs> piss off all of New York. I don't know who it could be. And those are my top two picks in a way, but there are multiple people not on the card. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii, not on the card. Hiroko Goto, not on the card. Toru Yano for comedy, not on the card. Colt Cabana, not on the card. Uh, yes, <laughs> there are many others it could be. So, again, a nice surprise for me. Of course, the biggest surprise could be somebody like Kenny Omega, but to do that, that would just be to a pop. But, uh, like, the, oh, an important part I didn't include in my intro is the reason it's probably not going to be that. Is because uh, New Japan and AEW, uh, Cody apparently had talks with uh, New Japan about kind of working together, and AEW decided to go with Ring of Honor and not AEW in those talks. And Ring of Honor have gone, done the same. They've gone with New Japan, not really. Because AEW is an unknown entity. It seems to have a lot of hype, a lot of potential. It seems like uh, people are expecting it to do well, but there's like no actual physical evidence that it's a, like a 100% certainty. So, again, New Japan being a bit more hesitant that like we saw with their expansion, they decided to not go with AEW. So, probably not going to be one of the one of the elite lads. But anyway, yes, this could be anybody. But all we know is it's not going to be Flip. And if it is Flip, then that, <laughs> that if they thought of we have to announce his injuries if people don't think it's going to be Flip, then I don't really care. <laughs> I'm not a big enough fan of Flip to be like, oh, they tricked us. Ah, oh. it's like that. In my cousin, the reason I wrote, the reason I wrote, please don't be Flip, is because I don't really want it to be Flip because he does not get the huge pop of, hey, Flip's back. That like Ring of Honor seem to consistently think he will get. <laughs> no, he's odd. Ring of Honor seems to seems to keep thinking that Flip is like absolutely beloved and will get these mega pops, and whenever he's revealed as like a surprise challenger, he just never does. <laughs> I find that funny. Uh, Maybe I'm thinking, I don't know if he's more over than he was, but that's kind of the reaction I was getting. Right, next up into the serious half of this card. First off is the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship three-way match. Uh, champion representing Bullet Club, Ty Dijamori versus Dragon Lee versus Lifeblood's Bandido. So this is your uh, your kind of three promotions coming together of New Japan, which is Ishimori, CMLL, which is Dragon Lee, and Ring of Honor, which is Bandido. Yeah, this match is going to be insane. <laughs> I'm expecting like, an insane fast-paced bar burner of a match. Kind of like If you've seen Dragon Lee before, you know how athletic and incredible he is. I, I don't know what, whose pace they're going to be working more at. However, Bandido is one of those who is also so charismatic and so quick as himself. And really, that's the word which I would describe this match the best. Just everybody's quick. <laughs> That's why it's like fast-paced burner, bar burner, not just a athletic bar burner, but the pace of it should be something that really sets it apart from everything else on this card. Because you're going to get some great technical matches. You're going to get, get like, I'm expecting the Buddy Ray match to be fun and entertaining in its kind of brawly kind of way. You're like amazing, two amazingly talented wrestlers in the Osprey and Cobb, but the pace of this one should probably set it apart from everything else. Uh, Ishimori, as a champion, hasn't really had any opportunity to showcase this. Because he's been wrestling like Juicy Thunder Liger or Vaisuke Taguchi. He's not really had an opponent to really showcase himself during his reign. So that's what I'm expecting this match to... Like, this is his moment to shine whilst being champion. 
Uh, since beating Kushida, like they had a limited time to run at Wrestle Kingdom. So he's not like the, this year. He's not really had that one-on-one match in a championship scenario where he can really showcase himself. This may not be one-on-one, but he's got the ability to actually showcase what he can do and make the reign feel like it's got a bit more weight to it. So I'm not expecting a title change unless we see like another junior either receive the return of Hiromu or we see like a different junior come out as a kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Like, there's someone more related to one of the other two. Which, again, uh, Hiromu is really tied to Dragon Lee, so Dragon Lee could win if in that scenario. But Ishimori and Hiromu was also the final of the Best of the Super Juniors last year, so that could also work in that in that way. I'm not too sure which way they're going to go, <laughs> but I've put my money on Ishimori just because his reign's really just getting started. So this could be an Ishimori showcase just because he's not had the opportunity to showcase himself. Actually, no, it won't be that. It'll be, this will showcase all three guys. And this, yeah. If you like junior wrestling or the, the faster style, this should be right up your street. Expect at least one reverse Rana and suicide dive. <laughs> That's my prediction. Don't drink every time there's a dive. <laughs> Please don't. You need to be able to watch the, the main event <laughs> and WrestleMania the next night. <laughs> Please be careful. Ah. Yeah, so my prediction is Ishimori. However, there are if they, if they do bring out Hiromu, it could be Ishimori or Lee. If this is just to kind of showcase to put on an awesome match and whether Lee's a champion has really got that weight added to them. Of course, the other thing is with the title for title, it's how many titles are going to be put on, like how many Ring of Honor titles will be put on Japanese talent, how many uh, Japanese titles will be put on the Ring of Honor talent. Uh, this feels like an event that could tie these two companies closer together, or it could be one where it's got the sense it could do that, but then it doesn't really. <laughs> the results could kind of... They put stakes there, but the results don't really add that much drama in terms of what I've just talked about then. Either way, this match is going is my Dark Horse match of the night. I call it Dark Horse because of how great that last stretch of matches is. <laughs> That's, this has got the true kind of New Japan stamp on it, that the final stretch of matches is just... Just mouth-watering. <laughs> just... I don't know which one I'm going to pick. <laughs> just, yeah. Anyway, next up is our second title for title match. The IWGP Tag Team Championships and the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships are both on the line as uh, uh, IW, uh, IWGP Champions, uh, Guerrillas of Destiny, face the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, PCO and Brody King of Villain Enterprises, who face Los Inga Benavides de Hapons, Nada and Evil, who face the Briscoes. So two New Japan talents versus two Ring of Honor talents. Uh, the other thing is both of these champions are very recent champions, uh, with uh, PCO Brody King only being crowned at the Ring of Honor 14th anniversary show, and G.O.D. only being crowned on, like the I think the date was like 23rd of February or something. It was on the Ring of Honor's Honor Rising tour. So both are very recent champions. And Sonata and Evil are the former IWGP champions. The Briscoes, are the former Ring of Honor Titan Champions. So this match, when it was booked, was G.O.D. versus the Briscoes, which had some intrigue about it. I'll, I'll, yeah, I won't lie and say that, like, oh my God, everyone was so much more hyped before it wasn't a four-way. Like, not really. <laughs> it was another, it was a Ring of Honor versus New Japan match, so there's intrigue there. But aside from that, that was really all it had going for it. Like, the, these two teams, whilst relatively popular, are not really going to drum up loads of interest. However, 
then at the 40th anniversary show for Ring of Honor, uh, Villain Enterprises, PCO and Brody King won. <laughs> that just shocked everybody. Like, remember that it's like on Twitter, everyone was like, does that mean it's G.O.D. versus PCO and Brody King? No. <laughs> it's what an odd match. Uh, but no. We chased your four-way. Uh, Sonata and Evil are added to this. Uh, of course, the some of the backlash I saw to this was Sonata's incredible run in the New Japan Cup, reaching the final and putting on a fantastic match against Kazuchika Okada. Uh, I don't know if people wanted a like to continue that run for Sonata and have him in a singles match on this card. Uh, maybe he could have been the guy to answer the Buddy Race Challenge. But uh, it's one of those where there was already that thing of G.O.D. taking titles from them, and that's an issue which has not been put to bed yet, so I guess it's fine. And plus, we've still got the rest of the year to go, so I don't know where Sonata will fall later on in the year. Maybe could die down a bit until the G1. That's not known. That's not unheard of in New Japan, where they have a great New Japan Cup. They kind of die down a bit. They kind of back to what they were before, and then in G1 climax, they kick it up again, and that kind of it continues to charge in a way. It's one side of uh, long-term booking that really differs from WWE. With WWE, will be constantly looking for that next thing to continue, like kind of pumping more and more support or electricity into the thing. Well, New Japan aren't afraid to give the spotlight to others and let this one person who's already get, gotten their push kind of die down a bit, be a bit more in the background, their moment will come. Like you saw it before with uh, Naito kind of taking steps back and then his moment will come in the long term. It's just they are giving others a bit more weight to kind of expand or give people a chance. It's one thing I really like about New Japan. Anyway... The point I'm trying to make, <laughs> this is going to be, well, as I go, stuttering mode. <laughs> you did not lose your connection, I just kind of started stuttering. This match will continue the mayhem feel of the last one. Uh, with your, uh, again, expect dives of sorts, probably from the Briscoes or whatever. They expect lots of cheating and things. you got a G.O.D. in there, you got the Briscoes in there, they're both cheeky. PCO's a veteran, Brody King vessels like a veteran. Uh, Sonata and Evil are kind of like Brody King in that way. Where they're not, they're not the most experienced people in this match, but they wrestle like they are, which is it's got a different dynamic. This match, there's something about all these four teams. It feels like a weird mismatch, but it's one of those that, when coming together, all I can picture is a uh, kind of relatively fast-paced, kind of chaotic match. Maybe not. Well, maybe the pace might die down a little bit, but it will be chaotic or mayhemy in a way. Yeah, <laughs> it's what I'm looking forward to but it's not the one I'm most excited about. Like, it's one of those where I look at it and go, well, now I'm pretty much looking at it thinking I'm guaranteed fun, but I'm not looking at it going, oh, this would be amazing, it's my match of the night. That said, there are so many other matches that I am thinking about that I don't mind that there's this match that I'll go, oh, that looks fun. (laughs) Like, yeah, I'm going to be fine with these other matches. No issue, no issue. Next up, the British Heavyweight Championship, Zack Sabre Jr., versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. So this one came about after kind of a nice simple build. Uh, in the New Japan Cup, uh, in the quarterfinals, I want to say, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. faced Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, at that point, Zack Sabre Jr. had never lost a New Japan Cup match. This was his second New Japan Cup, which, yes, that means he won the first one. But, yeah, he won that first one, and then he won his first three matches in this one. So he was going in to face Hiroshi Tanahashi, undefeated, and Tanahashi beat him. And obviously, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. is the British heavyweight champion, uh, which is the Rev Pro's championship here in the UK. 
and they, yeah, he's put that on the line. And the last time we saw this belt defended in New Japan was at Wrestle Kingdom against Tomohiro Ishii, and I'm pretty certain he defended it against Japanese talent in UK as well. Uh, I think this is the title he's also defended against Pac and Will Ospreay and things. <laughs> so, so he's been wrestling his heart out defending this championship and building it up. And uh, I talked about this in the column, but uh, I'll go, go into super detail in the column. But like uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi was a man who won his championship at Wrestle Kingdom and then kind of fell and lost it to Jay White and is picking himself back up. He failed to defend New Japan against Jay White whilst Zack Sabre Jr. He's been getting uh, better and better runs and his run in New Japan Cup. He had uh, like he had Evil, I think it was first or something. And then he had uh, Kota Ibushi. <laughs> I'm losing my words. And then he had vegetarian. He didn't have an easy run, and he was still undefeated and winning. And he'd been defending this title around the world. Uh, yeah, he had a much better run to the New Japan Cup until Tanahashi actually beat him. So in that kind of ultimate proof of Tanahashi, he's like, "Well, I beat you. Why don't I have a shot at your title?" <laughs> so uh, yes. Yeah. So suddenly we have this match, which is a mix of this could be Tanahashi winning and British fans go, "Oh, that's interesting," or this is a huge push for Zack Sabre Jr who could potentially, I've said this before, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Suzuki Gun slowly forms into Sabre Gun. We could see it done respectfully, but in New Japan, uh, heel stables, there's a history of betrayal. <laughs> Let's just say, if you don't know the history of how the Chaos Stable started, uh, is, that, is that tangent? <laughs> Mini tangent. But the Chaos Stable started when there was another stable called GBH, uh, whose leader was Togi Makabe who is also not booked for any matches, so it's probably in the honour rumble. But anyway, Shinsuke Nakamura stole every single member, from, apart from one, from under the nose of Togi Makabe, he took all of GBH's members, and then formed chaos with them, with this new heel stable. So in that was like Carl Anderson, and, oh, big, what's his face? Albert. <laughs> but those two guys were there as well. And then we had, who do we have? Oh, Toriyano, that's the guy I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I can't forget to remember Toriyano. But yes, so that's how kind of chaos got started. So, and then Suzuki Gun itself, Suzuki Gun started being called Kojima Gun. And then Suzuki kind of took it under from Kojima. And all, that, all of the uh, people in that stable kind of said, Suzuki's their leader now. Out you go, Kojima. So it's not like it's uncommon. It's not happened in some time, but it does happen in New Japan. It is in their history. And knowing Gado, he will play off of that. Uh, maybe maybe we haven't seen it because he kind of likes a more set thing and doesn't think that betrayals happen all the time. But that means when a betrayal or kind of a passing over of power in a stable does happen at Madison School, would be huge. It would be huge. <laughs> Which would be like, yeah. I'm excited to see what that could mean for Zack Sabre Jr. I don't know if you just heard a weird noise there, but it's like I communicated with an alien <laughs> for me. <laughs> that was off. Anyway, hopefully I'm still connected. Uh, I'll just keep on going anyway. So, yes, Zach Sabre Jr. versus Roger Tanahashi. I assume that Sabre Jr. is going to win. Tanahashi, did they push the Japanese talent? Or did they push, uh, I'll go with Zach Sabre Jr. My, my British nurse will come in, and after you win, Zach, come back to Britain and help us with Brexit. <laughs> we need you, Zach. <laughs> just have because you're not here. Uh, the third from bottom match, I don't know why I worded it like that, eighth match of the night, IWGP Intercontinental Championship, Tetsuya Naito defending against Kota Ibushi. 
Mm. Right. So as I mentioned right at the start of the show, Coach Ibushi signed his first ever contract with New Japan Pro Wrestling, which led us to him announcing on that same kind of announcement of his signing a contract that he would be taking part in the New Japan Cup. And that suddenly is like, oh, the way he's introduced, there's no way that Coach Ibushi is like not either making the final or the semi-finals minimum. He's going to have a fantastic run, surely. It seemed like we were going that way. He ended up losing to Zack Sabre Jr. in the next round. But in this round, he had an incredible match against Tetsuya Naito. I highly recommend you go watch it. This is not their first incredible, incredible like opening round match. They did it in the G1 Climax, and it was... I don't know if that was like 2018. That could have been 2017. But that was like an insane match where they're doing like top rope pile drivers and things. <laughs> it was, it's a mental match, but it's like a fantastic watch. But like this match as well was like one of the matches of the tournament. I highly recommend you go watch it. And the most important part is it feeds into this match because just like when Tanahashi beats Axobo Jr., he now gets the challenge for his championship. Koto Ibushi gets the challenge for Tetsuya Naito's championship. So that's something that's like in WWE, you might have called that like a kind of like, a, oh, that's a boring way to start your storyline. However, in New Japan, it comes with the added kind of layer of wins matter in New Japan, and that rule is never broken. And winning is the most important thing. And like, you, you, like in the past, Kazuchi Okada, was, they had him crying his eyes out after losing Hiroshi Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom. Like, wins are the most important thing in New Japan. So, when somebody kind of defeat, beat somebody who is a champion, that's not like a boring way to set up a match in a way. It's got that wider kind of world thing within New Japan of wins mattering. And if you beat a champion, that is a huge thing. <laughs> and that means, well, I am worthy to challenge for a title. Compare that to WWE where they're having to come up with like, the craziest storylines or the, the storylines they think get people interested the most, whatever. That's why you got Samoa Joe going to AJ Styles' home and things like that. Oh, oh Pillman's got a gun. <laughs> Just all this random stuff. You'll never get that in New Japan because the most important thing is the results in that ring and the stories told in that ring. So when Ibushi beat Tetsuya Naito, there's your match set up. Because that's why the New Japan Cup is really useful to set up this show. The New Japan found their feet in that tournament and Tetsuya Naito has got his huge Madison Square Garden match. <laughs> I was a bit scared for a second when we didn't know what Snado and Evil were doing. We hadn't seen uh, Bushi or Shingo and Naito didn't have a match either. We're like, is it going to be in a multi-man match that's just going to be in the middle and it's going to be fine, you're not going to remember it. Like, you get to see them, but they don't really do anything. Nope, they're really going for it with this show. It's a proper New Japan ending to the, to the card. Yes, Tatsuya Naito defending against Kosovo Bushi. Get ready for <laughs> another match of the night candidate. To count them, that's Osprey versus Cobb, the uh, IWGP uh, Championship three-way Maybe Bully Ray would be fun, I don't know. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr., Tanner, Naito, Ibushi. I'd say the main event is also up there as well. But yeah, I was looking at this card, this is why I was just like, this show could this looks really good. Like Especially the New Japan side, Like that wobble they were having is finally over. <laughs> They're properly like, back on their feet now with this. It's yeah, awesome to see. But I fear for their decks. <laughs> but I am in joy of this match being on the card. So like in, like um, in the past, people have said that this event needed to showcase New Japan talent. This is the kind of match that exactly exemplifies that. 
one of the top matches on the show with some of the top talent in the company putting everything on the line in what could quite possibly be the most mental match of the show. Ah. So, yeah, it could also be like a star-making moment because we don't know where this is going. It could be either cementing Naito as a star, but you have the mental match with Ibushi, or this is Ibushi's kind of first rising to the challenge because we don't know what story they're telling with Ibushi. All we know that he has said he wants to be one of those top guys. Uh, I've got a story of the past where Tanahashi said that he thinks Ibushi should be one of the three musketeers if he ever signed with the company. He would be like the, one of the three musketeers. Uh, in New Japan, in each era, they seem to have three people of which they build the company around. So instead of like, you, you would have an ace, but instead of focusing all of your storylines or all of your arcs on one person and everyone interacts with them, like Stone Cold Steve Austin or Hulk Hogan or whatever, they have three people they build their, all of their feuds around those three people, which means that when one, two of those three people ever interact, it's huge. It's like they are the three biggest in the company. It's like a huge momentous occasion whenever they interact with each other. So they've done this in multiple generations. This generation, I guess they've had Tanahashi, Okada, Naito, and Omega jumped in as well. Uh, I don't know if we've ever had, like... It's, it's weird. We have, it's this middle, we've had this weird period where... Chris Jericho's jumped in for the bigger matches kind of to help with that outside storylines, but those four guys have been the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. Now we're at this point where Omega's gone, but Ibushi could be coming in, Tanahashi's maybe tagging out, so maybe we will get these three musketeers of Okada, Naito, and Ibushi. However, we don't know how New Japan will go for that story. Will we get uh, Ibushi saying he wants to kind of get to that level and he does beat Naito? Therefore, Ibushi becomes Intercontinental Champion. Naito can go to the G1 and win that. Or, Ibushi says he wants to get there, but he keeps failing at that, that next hurdle and he needs, that, he needs to improve on that next step. So maybe we, that, like, can, well, we can incorporate the G1 Climax into that, where Tana, uh, Ibushi made it to the final against Tanahashi, and then Ibushi was not able to step up and beat Tanahashi. When Tanahashi entered that mode of, like, this is a big match, bring it to Ibushi, Ibushi was not able to. Tanahashi beat him in like a battle of will or, or heart or whatever, what have you. And then in the New Japan Cup, similar thing. Ibushi looked like he was really going to go for the New Japan Cup and make it his own, and he says he's going to go for the main event, he's going to do it. However, second round, loses to Zack Sabre Jr. He's not able to out out-wrestle the submission specialist. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. But yeah, we could see that happen again. And I, I can realistically see that happening here. Like Naito holding onto his title, Ibushi saying he's going to get to that next stage, but not kind of truly being ready for it, like mentally. No, he's ready, like physically and kind of like the peak of his career kind of way. He is ready to do that. But mentally, the others that are already in those spots are in those positions. And Naito's talking about coming a, in the first intercontinental and heavyweight IWGP champion, a dual champion. He's the first one to do that. I wouldn't be surprised if he accomplishes that. But I would also, (laughs) I'm expecting the Intercontinental Championship to main event one Wrestle Kingdom day and the heavyweight the other. Because the big thing is this uh, Wrestle Kingdom for 2020 falls on a weekend. So they're doing it over two nights, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. Yeah, (laughs) sorry Americans, (laughs) your sleep is going to be completely destroyed. You'll know what us European folk feel like. (laughs) But but I could see both, one title main event and one day one title the other. Unless that's not what we see at all, and that's just not... <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but yes, you've got Hiroshi Tanahashi, uh, Ko- uh, Ko- I think, Kazuchika Okada, Tetsuya Naito, Kota Ibushi. 
there's a lot of you've got those four guys and of course you've got Jay White to play off of as well these past two years you've had the same six people in the final three matches in Omega, Jay White, Chris Jericho uh, Kazuchika Okada Tetsuya Naito and Tanahashi and you also getting somebody those same six guys have main event of the past two Wrestle Kingdoms just in a different order now we've lost uh, Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho so those two tag out and we've got in addition Kobe so I don't know, will there be an additional person? Could that be Will Ospreay to kind of immediately push him up there as he wrestled Ibushi last year, kind of elevate them? Or will it be somebody else? I don't know, so now they've got a nice little push. But yes, it's almost like Toby Jr. As I was mentioning earlier. But whichever way they go, we don't know, not that no, we did not not. We do not know which way they're going to go with Coach Ibushi. As in, will it be immediate? Will it be a slow burn? Will it be him having to prove himself because maybe he isn't as ready as he thought he was? Or maybe he isn't ready as he thought he was and it's Naito who maybe wasn't ready for the heavyweight championship, even though that has just had his year of proving. Either way, good luck to these guys next. Right. <laughs> I must have hurry up because I'm running out of time. Right, next up, the penultimate match of the night. A three-way ladder match for the Ring of Honor World Championship. Jay Lethal versus Matt Taven versus Marty Skull. Right, so as I said earlier, uh, the champion, Jay Lethal, he won the Ring of Honor World Championship all the way back in June in a fatal four-way, dethroning uh, Dalton Castle in the process. His reign ever since has been, I guess, fine, with the odd, like, decent match here and there. Uh, His moment at All In when he dressed up as... We went back to his Black Machismo gimmick. Uh, That was an awesome moment for the show. And, uh, of course, like defending the Ring of Honor Championship on that show, uh, it was a, a fun match against Flip Gordon. Then, kind of, uh, moving forward, is Reign hasn't really advanced or really impressed that much. It feels like, as I said earlier, with the Bot Lesnar thing with WWE, where they realised there was going to be an issue and they fell back onto the safety net. It feels like Ring of Honor did the same thing. They fell back onto the safety net. That's Jay Lethal. Uh, he's not going to elevate the title anymore. But really, a sign of how well it's done is that the title was defended like midway through the show on the last pay-per-view. There is a bit of a context to that, but that's a bit of a sign of maybe the prestige of the title isn't as high as it probably should be for the World Championship when it's defended halfway through the show and there's not much buzz around it. So I'm going to fast forward all the way to the 14th anniversary show. First, I'll take another drink of water. Let that halfway, halfway kind of change between seasons. So my throat's getting dry so fast. What do you mean that's not a science? <laughs> I don't care. It's happening. So uh, Matt Taven. I've talked still talk about Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal faced Matt Taven. That's why I said his name first by accident. So uh, the match ended up going for a full one hour, and it was a time limit. Well, it ended up uh, ending a draw because. Marty Skrull interrupted. So Marty Skrull had already earned an opportunity to face Jay Lethal for the champ- or face whoever the champion is. So he was going to be facing them at Madison Square Garden. And this match ended up being a draw. People just assumed it was going to be Jay Lethal and this was kind of like a midway match to pass the time. To kind of push Matt Taven a bit higher without... yeah, As in, as in a why not kind of thing. Like, there's no lose-lose here. Matt Taven gets a world championship match and uh, Jay Lethal kind of gets a bit of wrestling... To so I'm the champion before the big show at Madison Square Garden. However, Marty Skull interrupted in the match and it ended up being a time limit. Well, not time limit draw. It ended up being a draw after such a long time has gone by. 
Then on Ring of Honor Television, it was announced that this match was going to be a three-way match now. After Mike Scully interrupted into the match, Matt Taven never really truly got his kind of final moments to win the match. We don't know, could he become champion? So Matt Taven is added to the match, and it's also now a leather match. To which immediately my kind of... But I wasn't that interested to begin with. Now it's turned into, I guess it'll be fun. (laughs) Which is a lot of, like, with these Ring of Honor matches on this card, I think for me the peak is, well, it should be fun. I'm not super invested. My investment is in the New Japan side, aside from, like, the opening match of Osprey Cobb. Now, my investment is in the New Japan side, but the, oh, it'll be a fun match. (laughs) That's what this is. A three-way ladder match that will be fun, but I'm more invested in the match before and after it than I am this one by quite some degree. Because I haven't... So the big thing with J.D. Phil's reign is I've really struggled to get invested in it. I've, it yes, I've, just, I've really, really struggled. Him as champion just hasn't really worked this time. Uh, he, he has been a good Ring of Honor, a good Ring of Honor world champion in the past. That is, his first heel run was incredible. I'm not going to do a full Kingdom of Honor Gemman rant. <laughs> if you don't want to... Listen to uh, Kingdom of Honor on Mondays here on All the Pain Radio and you hear his Gemman talking about how much he cannot stand Jay Lethal. Uh, and if he wins at the Square Garden, he's going to stop watching and all of that stuff. <laughs> I won't do anything as drastic as that because I don't have the time to keep moving him on television. But, but still, uh, yeah, Jay Lethal has not hit home for me. But the other side, for me, is Marty Skull. Like, the complete opposite so as I said earlier, with Villain Enterprises kind of being used as a way to elevate Marty Skrull, uh, Marty Skrull is somebody who has dabbled in the main event without really ever becoming like a definite world champion who, like, round the corner is going to happen kind of guy. They've been pushing him really well, I feel like. Now it's at that point where Marty Skrull is the man with the momentum to give that title to. Because, of course, there's the other thing about the elite guys leaving. So this... Fans who have stuck around with Ring of Honor who really enjoyed the elite guys, who are they going to gravitate towards? Obviously, one of the elite guys, the only one who's left, Marty Skrull. <laughs> so he is, like, a lot of fans have gravitated to him and they, they've built up really well. The Villain Enterprises thing has worked in terms of elevating Marty Skrull. Uh, PCO and Brody King still feel a bit odd <laughs> as like a, like a proper pairing. However, it works in the way that Marty Skrull's been elevated. So I guess applause in that direction. Uh, Matt Taven has had his kind of kingdom stable, but they felt like stuck at a mid-card, upper mid-card level with struggling to break through. And this past year, they've done work to kind of put Taven into that area. They're doing a whole storyline of Matt Taven that is saying that he is the proper Ring of Honor champion. Can't remember the, quite, the perfect context for, for why he's been saying that, but he has been saying that. But so he's claiming that he is the actual real Ring of Honor World Champion, that's what this match of the 14th anniversary was for, was Jay Lethal is the champion, Matt Taven claims he is the actual champion, even though like, he isn't, that's just kind of a running thing I've noticed over the past few pay-per-views of Ring of Honor that I've watched, it's like, Matt Taven is saying that, and I don't know where it started, <laughs> it's, just, it's just a thing he decided to do one day, anyway, so uh, that was never really decided, and then my skull interrupted, and voila, three-way, but so even in my complaints that I've struggled to get behind Jay Lethal, even in my complaints that Matt Taven feels like a guy who could have used a lap smash to elevate him, but then him being included in this match feels a bit of a jump in a way. feels a bit odd. Because Ring of Honor feels like a company that have been really damaged by the elite guys leaving, and now they're trying to do, find their feet again. In, like Pumping in all this new talent, trying to figure out kind of what to do. 
like NXT after the whole roster has been called up or <laughs> something, trying to find their feet, who to push properly, who's going to be the next main event guy in a way. Ring of Honor kind of feel like that. That said, when I said that this show could be easily used to launch Ring of Honor into that next stage, I wasn't lying. Marty Skrull is that man. <laughs> like they have found it. Like even though it feels like a bit of a wobble, I feel like like the New Japan Cup kind of fixed New Japan's wobble. This show could fix uh, Ring of Honor's wobble. If like with the Women of Honor, if they launch Kelly Klein in the tag team match, if one of uh, if the, somebody looks good, <laughs> that'll be fine. In this match, if Marty Skrull wins, then all of that build, kind of building him up and him winning at MSG, suddenly it all comes full circle. It all works. <laughs> and then he can launch into that new era, and he's not kind of he's no longer on the safety champion of Jay Lethal. So yeah, they're in a similar way that WWE are in, where they need to get that title off of the safety man, Brock Lesnar, and give it to Seth Rollins. Ring of Honor, in a similar circumstance, need to get it off Jay Lethal and onto their guy to push to the next stage in Marty Skull. That's what I think they should do. This is Ring of Honor. They like to do kind of twists in a way, thinking that will keep you invested, but I don't invest that much for it to ever work <laughs> so they could have Matt Taven win because it's Ring of Honor <laughs> to use the quote because reasons <laughs> because it's Ring of Honor <laughs> that's why Matt Taven could win but in terms of like pushing the company forward and finding its feet Mark Skull is that man suddenly the promotion feels a lot more stable and it feels it feels like people are more finding the right places does that make sense Marty Skull is the right way to go with that doesn't mean they will but that's in my opinion Marty Skull is the guy because they built him up pretty well in this era of like signing people left and right <laughs> just it's a mental time for wrestling right that brings us to the main event we'll take one more swig of water I've been talking for 90 minutes I'm allowed to drink and then I'll just bash on with it yeah. the main event IWGP Heavyweight Championship on the line as champion Jay White defends against the New Japan Cup winner, the Rainmaker Kazushka Okada, the Switchblade versus the Rainmaker. Who will win? So, let's do the champion first because Okada's a little bit longer. So, the champion, Switchblade Jay White, he was a member of Chaos last year. However, he was always healed. It always felt a little bit off. Uh, Chaos is a face stable. He was always blatantly heel, but like from day one. He did some face things, and he teamed with face guys, but he's like, no, you're a heel. Uh, throughout the G1, he would try and get like, the Chaos people he's teaming with to kind of turn the evil, turn to the dark side. Uh, normally, show and yo of uh, the Rapungi 3K tag team, a beloved former Young Lions, and then formed a tag team that's just as beloved. And, uh, yeah, they never did it. <laughs> so, in the end, uh, JY turned on Chaos and joined the Bullet Club guys, like the Tongans. Uh, he joined them and they uh, reformed their next stage of the Bullet Club. He officially became the fourth leader of the Bullet Club, with the Elite becoming kind of their own thing and then le- eventually leaving. So now Bullet Club is an out-and-out heel stable once again, a lot closer to its original roots. And uh, Jay White then tries to win the G1 Climate briefcase. It doesn't work, so then he doesn't get to main event Wrestle, Wrestle Kingdom. <laughs> once they WrestleMania. He gets the main event, Wrestle Kingdom. But then he goes on to face Kazushiko Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. So keeping in mind that he uh, screwed over Kazushiko Okada in his turn on the Chaos. So not only did he kind of join Bullet Club, but he turned on Chaos in the process, and Bullet Club just beat up Chaos when that happened. 
So, because he's got, kind of got his reasons to go after Jay White. That happens at Wrestle Kingdom. But also in that process, Kazuchika Okada has been through his midlife crisis. So I'm going to have to pause Jay White's story at Wrestle Kingdom and switch over to Okada, who this time last year was on his incredible, legendary IWGP Championship reign. He'd held it for maybe, reach, I think we're over like two and a half years or something. <clears throat> if I'm right, he won it off Naito at Dominion in 2016. And he held the championship all the way to, uh, I guess it was Dominion in 2018. <laughs> this is mental. <laughs> maybe was, maybe that's not quite right. But he had the championship for an insane amount of days. It was over 600. He defended it through two Wrestle Kingdoms. So that tells you how great that reign was. He ended up jumping it to Kenny Omega in a like Dave, Dave Meltzer seven-star, <laughs> whatever it was, <laughs> a two-out-of-three-fours match. Uh, but after that, after he dropped the title, after that legendary reign, he uh, he entered a bit of a midlife crisis. So through the G1 Climax, like for the first few days, uh, the thing about the G1 Climax is you wrestle your tournament match, and then the next day you'll be in a tag team match, and on the other side will be your opponent for the next tournament match the day after. So it's tournament match, tag match, tournament match, tag match, like every single day. <laughs> that's the that's the uh, calendar. However, schedule, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> that's the schedule. However, Ikushiko Akada was on a losing streak going into the tournament after losing his title. And then, like, the first four days, or maybe it's more than that, he lost right, He lost his first tournament match, and then he lost the tag match, and then the next tournament match, and then the tag match. And it, I think it was his third match where he finally won, and he broke the streak, and he was in... I can't remember what the number was. But the, he lost his title back in June, and the G1 Climax is the July-slash-August kind of uh, time. And Okada had lost every match to that point. So I can't remember what the number... I want to say 40-something, but that feels insane. <laughs> I remember his his streak was significant. <laughs> they lost every single match. In the end, he went on amazing... And he felt like, kind of felt like he found himself in the tournament. Yeah, he, was, he used to be coming out with like balloons and he looked a bit vacant, looked like he was lost. He was kind of having fun and not really... He's been a bit weird, not himself. But by the end of the tournament, he was back. Anyway, it felt like him, and he had an incredible match against Hiroshi Tanahashi uh, in the final to see, of, uh, in the last round of their block, to see he would go to the final. And uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi ended up going, but that's because a kind of kind of earlier losses, uh, kind of they caught up with him in the end. Like those earlier losses when he was in his midlife crisis, <laughs> they, 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 I can't think of the word. They scuppered any chance that he had of uh, going to the final. And Hiroshi Tanahashi wasn't able to beat him. It was a time limit draw. Uh, you only get 30 minutes in G1 Climax. It was a time limit draw. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi went on. However, in that time, Okada found himself once again. He properly felt like he was back to being Okada. Keep in mind, I'm not saying the Rainmaker. I'm specifically saying Okada. <laughs> this is important. <laughs> the Rainmaker is like this whole other entity, anyway. So... Then we get the whole Jay White turning on Chaos thing, and uh, Carlos caught up in that. That kind of brings him and Tanahashi together, long-time rivals. Uh, then over the kind of World Tag League kind of time, which is December, you know, the winner of the World Tag League gets to challenge for the World, the IWGP Tag League Championships at Wrestle Kingdom. So uh, in that kind of period over that tour, Hiroshi Tanahashi and uh, Kazuchika Okada team up. So it's kind of like the mega powers coming together. Two guys who have been feuding since 2012. They've been like huge rivals, but now they're facing against each other against this bigger threat in Jay White. 
and at Wrestle Kingdom, Okada and Jay White face each other. So in a way, they're both defending New Japan against these evil forces. Uh, Tanahashi saw Omega as this evil force that he did not believe with more philosophically, but he was defending New Japan against a philosophy he didn't think would work. Then there's uh, Okada, who was defending against Jay White, just a more blatant evil in a way. Uh, Surprisingly... Two things. First, Jay White looks a lot more comfortable when he's a lot more cocky since joining the Bullet Club and getting taking Gado with him from Okada, which is an important part, as well as Gado had been with Okada the entire time of Okada's amazing run. But uh, Okada turned up and his shorts were back. The other important part, at the Wrestle Kingdom previously, he'd worn what I called the disco pants, <laughs> which were just full-on trousers, uh, full-on pants, sorry, Americans, <laughs> which had weird... Uh, bits on it and it was like what's going on with the disco pants <laughs> very silly anyway the disco pants went away and his shorts were back and he got like a proper pop from the crowd then uh, Jay White beat him in the surprise it was an amazing ending sequence they felt like Okada was finally back but Jay White beat him the message from this Jay, uh, Okada may have been back which was awesome to see Okada finally back at Wrestle Kingdom but that was not enough. <laughs> the switchblade bested Okada. So the thing to remember is that in the, New, in the New Japan Cup, we finally saw something else. So Jay White has continued to defend his title. Not defend his title. He, he goes on to get the title <laughs> from Hiroji Danahashi. Then he defends it against Will Ospreay. I think what so he didn't defend it. He, I guess he had a good match with Will Ospreay at an anniversary show. Anyway, so, but he's this, he wins the championship. He becomes the ultimate top guy in New Japan. And he's still kind of riding that wave of the Fond Metal Kingdom, this huge wave of being like the top guy with Gado by his side. He happens to be like the head booker. He's got the whole bullet club and everything. Like, it's the same wave he's been riding ever since turning on Chaos all that time ago. Then over the New Japan Cup, something happens. So Jay White is kind of watching on the sidelines, resting, saying that he is ready for Madison Square Garden, whoever, like this huge tournament with 32 people, and they're all fighting to face him at Madison Square Garden in the main event. Like, he's kind of holding himself in this huge big deal. However, Kazuchika Okada re- realised something at Wrestle Kingdom. Okada may have been back, but Okada couldn't beat the Switchblade. To beat the Switchblade, he needs to become the Rainmaker once again. The Rainmaker needs to return. So he needs to be back at that level of the Rainmaker. And that's what happened over the New Japan Cup. He finally dug deep. He faced a lot of his four his, uh, chaos stable mates, kind of, in a way, like a trial of proving, in a way. Maybe, in a way, more than necessary to say two or three times. <laughs> but Okada proved himself. And in that final against Sanada, he really had to bring it. So now he. And this is finally, he felt, after that match with Sonata, finally he felt like he was the Rainmaker again. However, we won't really know that until Madison Square Garden, until G1 Supercard, until this main event match. I, the New Japan Cup felt like, finally, Okada had not just returned, but he was the Rainmaker once again. And that is what he needs to defeat Jay White. The question is, did that actually happen? <laughs> or was Okada doing really well? I'm assuming... I'm assuming that's what the story is in a way. Okada was not able to beat the Switchblade, but the Rainmaker was. It's the story I'm expecting to see. The huge return of Okada as IWGP Heavyweight Championship. 
and then you can build around him because he's had his time. So this championship is not going to feel the same as the last reign because Okada has had his time. Now it's like the likes of Naito and Ibushi are knocking on the door. This feels like people wanted Naito to win the last one. And uh, after Naito lost at Wrestle Kingdom against uh, Okada, I was saying, yeah, but you, know, you, you felt you wanted Naito to win, but were you desperate for it? Like, <laughs> in terms of, like, Okada's reign turned into this huge legendary thing, but it never felt like Okada was like, not the person who should be champion. If he wins here, I reckon we could enter a point where it feels like somebody like Naito, this should be their time, and that's the feeling you want when he hands over the belt. So that is why I'm expecting it to be Okada Naito once again at Wrestle Kingdom in the main event. However, there's always a chance of Jay White winning, just because he's only just become champion, and New Japan don't often do hot potato with the championship. However, I think the elite leaving may have scuppered things and they never really planned for it to happen. The plan could have been Omega Okada in the main event because there's quite an easy road if Omega stays because then you don't drop the title to Tanahashi. Then you don't give Omega storylines to Jay White so Jay White becomes champion. Omega's still champion the entire time. It's a completely different narrative because, of course, Tanahashi's story kind of changes. But still, <laughs> Jay White's facing Okada it feels like this will be the Switchblade versus the Rainmaker, not White and Okada like it was at Wrestle Kingdom. And that's kind of the note I want to leave this off on. The card looks incredible. <laughs> the matches feel like they could take both companies further on to the next stage. Uh, as I said with New Japan, like there's a lot of stuff already working into it. There's stuff like Ibushi where we don't know where, gonna, where he's going to fall, but we'll get a better impression here. The card itself, in terms of this match quality, should be fantastic. <laughs> the opening match will be insane. Uh, Zach Sabre Jr. Tanner will be an amazing showcase. The incredible pace I'm expecting with the three-way match for the junior championship match. The intercontinental match between Naito and Ibushi after that already enough. Lando match will be fun. And the main event we're like, should be a returning moment for the main maker. But I am running out of time, so I'm going to have to end the show there. Thank you for listening to all of this as you have made it so far. I've struggled. You've probably heard my voice going. <laughs> I need to drink more water. <laughs> Throughout this show, I've nearly drank an entire pint of water, and it's still not enough. <laughs> so I'm going to go and drink a whole pint of this. But yes, thank you for listening. Hopefully that's got you already informed ahead of the Madison Square Garden show. Uh, as a final reminder, the show does start, uh, the kickoff at 6.30 EST, main card at 7.30 EST. You, get it, you can order it on fight for 39.99, but it will be streaming as well on New Japan World for about $30 less than that. <laughs> if you want to get to New Japan World, you can get it there. Uh, I'm not sure what the things are for Canada. I know things are different sometimes, but if I might, this is one of the first American shows which will be on New Japan World for everybody. So there'll be no issues there. But if you don't want to get a streaming service or order it on Fight, the show will be airing for free on AXS TV in two parts, however, so you will be behind the time. So Twitter will be scary, <laughs> especially WrestleMania season where like the next stage of WrestleMania, so you're going to be taking up with somebody else entirely. <laughs> so, a lot of wrestling happening over this time. So, thank you for listening. Uh, I will give a recommendation to listen out for the Global Revolution as they are talking about the world outside of WWE, like the worldwide kind of wrestling world. As we get into WrestleMania week, there are a lot of shows and promotions that we are putting on events throughout WrestleMania week. And I uh, highly recommend you check out their show. So, it's on on Tuesdays on Lots of Pain Radio to kind of 
get a gist of these other shows outside. There are some very incredible looking shows. Uh, the news came out that uh, GCW, who like have broadcast a lot of these shows or put help fund them, put them out there together. Uh, they sold out all of their tickets. So all of the GCW shows around in the WrestleMania kind of world, all of those shows have sold out. So <laughs> it's going to be quite an interesting time. But I will say, check out Jody and Janela's Spring Break, which I think is also on the Saturday, but also recommend that there's a wrestler called Orange Cassidy, who I think is absolutely amazing. <laughs> Just uh, tweet at Spectral Gwen <laughs> who wants to see, want to hear some awesome, uh, I guess, he rates him as well, but he's putting on a show and every match looks incredible in a jokey kind of way. <laughs> there's, like, there's like a one-minute time limit or seven out of 13 falls. I'm, I'm excited for it. <laughs> I'm drifting off into stuff about the wider uh, kind of like WrestleMania weekend stuff to do with wrestling, but yeah, it's at that time where wrestling outside of WWE is incredibly hot. So that, yeah, this is why they've kind of been forced into changing and being more... Uh, like more being giving the fans what they want because the fans are being given what they want outside of WWE. So obviously they want us going back. <laughs> but this show could be a changing of the times. It's a sign of a changing of the times. But whether it will full on impress, given that the elite guys aren't there, is very interesting to see what the American audience thinks. As not somebody who's not American, that doesn't really concern me as much. I'm just looking forward to this card, which looks great. But yes, please. Don't forget it, Tom. <laughs> the first. So that, that finishes my uh, preview, my in-depth thing of this show. The first Madison Square Garden wrestling event in over 50 years that was not put on by WWE. It's a huge changing moment. But that brings me to the end. I am back next Thursday, and I will be doing a WWE WrestleMania worst-case scenario as I decided randomly early on the show. <laughs> so I'll be doing that. A nice little fun trying to book the show as badly as possible, but it's in that thing of where people say, oh, this show's absolutely awful, like the worst book you've ever seen. The worst booking you've ever seen, you say. <laughs> it's just a tagline of, no matter no matter what you think of a show, to remember, it could be much, much worse. <laughs> That's what we're booking. <laughs> the worst way. It's, it's jokey, like, who can book it? They're absolutely worse. Anyway, that's the end of that plugging. Thank you for listening to this bollocks. Thank you for listening to these final two minutes that I've spoken bollocks. Please check out the other shows on Lords of Pain Radio. Please read my columns. I'll be posting something on Monday to do like a mini preview of whatever shows or matches I want to talk about for WrestleMania. They'll be up next Monday or Tuesday. Uh, read all the other columns as well. But with that, I bid you adieu. Adios. Hmm.